All right, I, uh, I am going to be, for the next couple of Sundays, preaching into this national election. And before I do that, I just want to pray. Lord, you know that what's in my heart and what's on that paper are, uh, are, are much more than we can swallow this morning. And I just ask that you, you prompt me, the Holy Spirit, that you flow through me, that you lead, that you take your word, Lord, and that you let it burn in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that it brings great encouragement to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by laying a foundation for some good heart work, because I think the heart, out of the heart, all the issues of life flow. Can you say amen to that? And I want to read Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Paul says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Now, how many of you know... Part of the difference between the church of Jesus Christ, those in covenant with him, and people who don't know God should be our demeanor, should be what's coming off of our spirit. And what God says should be coming off of our spirit is joy and peace that comes from hope, that comes from faith in God. The focus of our mental health and spiritual health has to be our childlike trust in God Almighty. And every week when we come together, how many of you know part of what I want to do is just declare and magnify the greatness of God? Because when God is big, our problems are small. When God is big, our joy is big, our peace is big, our hope is, 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 is a buoyant kind of flow that comes off of our spirit. And I don't know about you, but in the times in which we're living in, the one thing that we have to offer the world that the world doesn't have is hope. So here's what I want you to know. If you're associated with Living Stones, we already get bad enough reputation. We're called all kinds of things. You probably don't want me endorsing your campaign. I'm just telling you that. But anyway, um, the last thing I want anybody to say about us is we're not happy, we're not full of peace, and we're not the most positive people on planet Earth. I just want you to hear that. This, this isn't a downer message. This isn't a, a bite our nail. This is we should be living in buoyant hope, confident hope, joy, and peace in God because we believe God. All right, three of you agree with me on that one. I'm like, all right, Lord, help us. And look at what happens. Then you will overflow. Everybody say overflow. overflow. With confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are a Holy Spirit church. We need the Holy Spirit. We love the Holy Spirit. We embrace the Holy Spirit. And if we're putting faith in God through the power of the Holy Spirit, check this out. We're going to overflow, which means this is a church that has enough for not only our needs, but for others. How many of you want to be a, a part of a church that's an overflowing fountain? A church where we don't embrace the concept of scarcity or lack. There's, there's so much of a supernatural God to go around. Are you with me? So we want to encourage each other. and We want to challenge each other. We want to lift each other up. We want to keep pointing people to Jesus. And we want to do it with joy and peace. So just look at your neighbor and smile right now. And you look at me and I'm going to smile right now. There you go. Because sometimes I get, when I get preaching, I get this real serious face. But I want to tell you this morning, I'm a happy pastor. And I'm a peaceful pastor. I'm not staying up at night freaking out. I'm not on anti-anxiety pills or something like that, all right? I love Jesus, and I believe God's up large and in charge and on his throne. And I got enough hope to overflow. If you need some, come up and hug me, and I'll pray with you. I got, I got more than enough this morning. How about you? All right, I'm just making sure. So this ain't a doom and gloom message, but it's a serious message. 
Because we need to have hope in troubled times. And I, I really believe right now what we need is a God-centered perspective on the challenges that are before us. So I want to start by simply saying this. The God that we worship is a covenant God. Can you say amen? The, the book that we read, Thus Saith the Lord, the Bible is an old covenant and a new covenant. If you don't understand the word covenant, you're not going to understand how to live the Christian faith. Because when you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you submitted to him, guess what happened? You made covenant through Christ and his shed blood. You made covenant with the living God. And the Bible tells you what God says about who he is and what he's promised us. And then he tells us what he expects from us. In other words, he is a sovereign God, and he also gives responsibility. Now, let me just say something. This is going to be two parts message. We're going to hit it the rest of it next week. But I've called it America's Hope, Sovereignty and Responsibility. Here's, this message today is going to focus on the greatness and the power and the majesty and the authority of God over all the nations and people and governments of men. This is a great news message. But that's just part of the message because covenant always involves who God is, and then it involves who I am and what my responsibilities are. And so next Sunday, we're going to talk about what are our responsibilities as it relates to walking in covenant with God. So God creates or relates to us both corporately as a nation and as a church and individually as sons and daughters based on covenant. So this is important. You have a covenant, personal relationship with God, a personal covenant. Amen? That's between you and the Lord. But that also applies to us corporately as God's family. Amen? And check this out. Nations who honor God, nations who honor God's word, experience the covenantal blessings of God on the nation. Nations that reject God experience destruction. And the destruction does not come from the hand of God. It comes from the rejection of God when we invite all kinds of demonic things into our nation and on our, on our lives as people. So God is no respecter of persons. Can you say Amen. And this is good news. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter male, female. None of those things matter. Here's what the Bible says. God's no respecter of persons. The promises that he's made through Christ to me are all your promises too. It's not that he has any favorites. This is important. God wants you to know him, and you know him on the basis of the covenant that he cut with you through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to turn with me in Deuteronomy chapter 30, because here's an example of God making covenant. Now, even before we get to Deuteronomy 30, let me just share a couple of verses. How about this? Psalm 74, verse 20. The psalmist says, remember your covenant promises, Lord, for the land is full of darkness and violence. How many of you have noticed an increase of darkness in America and an increase of violence in our nation? Everybody reading this, watching the same news I am, okay? Increase of darkness, increase of violence. What did the psalmist pray? How did he react to increasing darkness and violence? He cried out that God's covenant promises would be enacted on their behalf. Powerful, a powerful prayer. Look at the next verse, Psalm 111, verse 5. He always remembers his covenant. I mean, you know, you never have to remind God about what he's committed himself to. He always remembers. So go to Deuteronomy 30. I think you guys are all there. Look at what it says beginning in verse 15. Now listen, God's making a covenant with his people. Today, I'm giving you a choice. Now, I love this about God. Because and when he makes covenant, it's not just one-sided. He gives us a choice. How many of you know you have to choose today to follow the Lord? And you might have chosen when you were 15 to give your life to Christ, but now you're 35. Guess what? You haven't stopped making choices. I hope they've been good choices. I hope you keep choosing righteousness. I hope you keep choosing life. 
Look at what it says. I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. Now, how many of you are awake this morning? This, this covenant applies to you. God says, I'm giving you a choice, you a choice, me a choice. What's the choice? Life or death. I mean, you know, that's an easy choice. Some of you still ain't awake. I just said, all right, all you that want to choose death, go line up in the back. We're going to shoot you right after the service, all right? <laughs> How many of you want to choose life? Yeah. Abundant life. Sometimes Christians are funny people. Well, you know, are you a pastor? Are you preaching health and wealth? And no, I'm preaching the Bible for crying out loud. I'm choosing life over death. I'm no dummy. Between prosperity and disaster. How many of you would rather live in prosperity than disaster? I mean, this isn't rocket science, folks, unless you're religious. Some of you know what I'm talking about. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and keep. That's our part of the responsibility in this covenant. Keep his commandments. In other words, honor what God says. Honor his decrees. Honor his regulations by walking in his ways. And then it says this two-letter word that's so profound. If. Everybody say if. Yeah. That means all that God just said is conditional upon something very important that's coming after if. How I many you know you need to know what's after the if? If. If what? I'm reading. What does it say? If you do this, you will live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you. Hallelujah. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the land that you're about to enter and to occupy. But, oh, there's that but word. But if your heart turns away, if your heart refuses to listen, if you're drawn away and you serve and you worship other gods, then I warn you right now that you will certainly be destroyed. How many of you know these are powerful words? They're words that have meaning. They're words that should shake us to the core of our being. God says, if you turn your back on me and reject me, you most certainly will be destroyed. I mean, you know, the destruction does not come because God's out to destroy you. The destruction comes because we turn and we walk away from the blessing and the provision and the covering of God Almighty who's begging us to return to him. But nevertheless, nations that turn away from God are destroyed. People that turn away from God are destroyed. That is what the word says. You will not live a long and good life in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to occupy. Look at verse 19. I circled this in my Bible. Today, oh, this is, how you know, we can't, we can't change yesterday, and we can't influence tomorrow. All we have right now is today. What do we do with today? What do we do with the choices today? What do we do with, with our love for God today, our obedience today? Today, God says, I've given you the choice between life and death, blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. How I many you know all that is wrapped up in one word? It's called responsibility for your life. God says, I'm calling heaven and earth to watch what you're doing now. If that doesn't frame out the, the weightiness of all of this, God's saying your choices matter. I watch what you're doing. I see what you're doing. I care about the decisions you make every day, and today matters. I'm watching. I'm calling heaven and earth on account. Everybody's watching to look at the choice that you're making. Oh, listen to the heart of God. He's begging us. Oh, that you would choose life. 
so that you and your descendants would live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him, for this is the key to your life. Everybody understand the covenant? What's God promised to do? Bless, prosper, protect, long, satisfying life. What does he expect us to do? Love him, honor him, obey him, put him numero uno. You all with me on this? And he says he's given us the choice, and he's calling heaven and earth to watch. What are we doing? What are we doing personally? What are you doing in your sphere of influence? What is our nation doing as it relates to the promises of God? Because how many of you know God is no respecter of nations? Nations who love him and honor him experience his blessing, and nations that turn their back on him experience destruction. We've seen it over and over and over through history. Now, let me just share with you. Some people call our church a political church. Nonsense. We're not a political church. I want nothing to do with being political. In fact, many churches are political, not for governmental reasons. It's it's politics in the church. Now, you all know what I'm talking about. I hate politics. But how many think if if there's something going on in your nation that impacts 330 million of us, you might want to talk about it on Sunday? I mean, it only impacts every single American. We might want to talk about it. Or we can just stay in our series on Leviticus. <laughs> now, I got no problem with staying in a series on Leviticus because it's the Bible. But something's going to happen in a little over a week that's going to impact our lives. And do I have to pause to say our lives are already being impacted in significant ways? The, the misery level is increasing. And I want you to know that when we fail as a nation, the ripple effects go out to the other nations of the world. And we're talking people's lives are at stake based upon the strength of the United States of America. So I don't want to, we are an exceptional nation and we do have incredible responsibility globally. I embrace that because those who receive responsibility lean into responsibility. I believe that's what Jesus has us do. Leadership is a good thing. Loving people, serving people, leading, providing answers, being salt and light. God honors people who step into the vortex of leadership and who lead and lead in a way that honors him. So again, what are we talking about here today? I'm not talking about D's and R's and I's and and donkeys and elephants. I care less about all that. I want you to know that what happens here with God's people and has happened all throughout human history, it's the church of Jesus Christ and it's God Almighty who's behind the scenes on all the history that's going on in the world today. And can I just tell you something? When you read through your Bible, how many times do you encounter God and his power coming in direct confrontation with wicked leaders and with wicked nations? I mean, why does God send the prophets all through the Old Testament? What are they saying? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Calling people to repent. Speaking prophetic words over wicked nations and calling them to repent. And how about calling God's people to repent? Getting our hearts in line. Making sure we're living the gospel. I mean, read your Bible and you'd be surprised how much of it deals with government. Not politics. Government. We're in a church, just so you, I'm, get, I'm, I'm sh- shedding some, uh, some DNA right here so you all understand if you knew. This is a kingdom church. This is not a, ask Jesus in your heart and someday you go to heaven and in the meantime we'll just keep trying to get as many people to ask Jesus in their heart. That's the beginning of the gospel. 
That is like point number one. There's a whole life to live. And there's nations to touch. There's a great commission. So while you are a citizen of the United States of America, when you bowed your knee to Christ, you became a citizen of the kingdom of God. We have a king. His name is Jesus. And we honor him and we love him and we submit to him. And it was our founding fathers who said in the face of King George III, we have no king but Jesus. That's what they said. That really ticked them off. Really ticked them off. All through human history, God has been confronting wicked people, narcissistic people, people who think they're God, people who feel like they can oppress and, and dominate other people. All through human history, God is in, co in conflict with that spirit. And I want you to turn with me to Exodus. We all know about the great Exodus, probably one of the greatest power encounters that we have in our Bible. God encountering Pharaoh, who was Ramses II. Now, a little background on Ramses. This is amazing to me. Uh, I didn't realize this about Mr. Ramses II, but he was a very egomaniacal king. I'm trying to find where those notes went. All right, I'm just going to wing it. I'm just going to wing it. I was doing a little historical background on him. Okay, let me ask you guys a question. When Moses showed up in Egypt, of course, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the whole world. When Moses showed up in Egypt, were the pyramids there? It's a great question, isn't it? In my mind, I never thought the pyramids came till later in history. You ready for this? When Moses showed up in Egypt, the pyramids had been there for a thousand years. And you know how many stones were in that pyramid? Millions of them. I got to find, there we go. Listen to this. Nearly, for nearly 4,000 years, those pyramids were the tallest man-made structures on planet Earth until surpassed by the Lincoln Cathedral and then the Eiffel Tower, and of course, we've gone up from there. Constructed with more than 2 million stones, each weighing at least 1 to 2 tons, ready for this? With some of those stones in those pyramids, weighing 60 tons. They were all built in, that, the pyramid was built in 20 years before the invention of the wheel. Now listen, anybody who thinks we're this smarty pants nation just because we got cell phones, <laughs> how do you build structures that are still standing today? Some stones weighing 60 tons, and you haven't even figured out a wheel yet. How do you move that? I mean, we're talking, about, we're talking about civilizations that were really smart. When Moses comes off as a shepherd from 40 years in the backside of the desert, and he walks up to Ramses II, and he says, um, <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord, uh, all these Jews you got around here, uh, we need all to leave, because God said. Do you have any idea what Ramses did? Well, let me show you what Ramses did. This is in uh, Exodus chapter 5, 1 and 2. Moses is there, show up at Pharaoh. They told him, uh, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Look at his response. Is that so? <laughs> I just want you to feel how ludicrous this was on a human level. God says, let my people go. Who are you, you stinky shepherd hanging out with sheep out in the desert? 
Go take a bath. Who are you? You're disgusting, Moses. Who are you? What are you doing standing in my presence? Look, it gets worse. Who is the Lord? Oh, that's not a good thing to say right there. That is not a good thing to say. Who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I'm not going to let Israel go. Now, when he said, I don't know the Lord, what he's saying is, I'm familiar with the gods of Egypt, but I've never heard of this guy, the Lord, Yahweh. Who is this guy? Because in Egypt, they had territorial gods. They had a pantheon of gods. Remember the Nile River where they were throwing the, the, uh, the Hebrew children into the river? That was to appease the river god. If you appease the river god, then you had fertility. And then how about this one? Remember when the, uh, all the frogs came? We'll get to that in just a second. But there was a god that helped women deliver their children who had a female body and the head of a frog. All right? Not sure why, but that was they worshipped, so they worshipped the frogs. So guess what happens when Moses shows up, says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I don't know your God. Never heard of him before. I don't report to him. I got enough gods around here I got to keep happy. I don't know your God, and I could care less about your God. So what happens? Remember the first judgment that came, turn the water into blood. Well, what did, what did Pharaoh's sorcerers do? They replicated it. And then you remember what happened next? The frogs came. Can you get a point that God has a sense of humor here, all right? He just contaminated the fertility river, all right, and, and ticked off the fertility god, and now he's going after the frog god. Now, now the sorcerers replicated the frog thing too, but I want you to see something. You would think if it was a, if it was a contest between God and between the demonic that when Moses turned the water into blood, that Satan would have turned the, from blood back into water. But Satan doesn't do things that are a blessing, Satan only does things that destroy and kill and, and curse. So Satan just simply replicates what God's doing. Notice with the frogs, all right? They do this, the frog thing, okay. Um, but then what happens next is this pipsqueak Moses, at least in Pharaoh's eyes, who's saying, thus saith the Lord, who Pharaoh doesn't know this God, standing in front of these giant pyramids that have been there for a thousand years uh, and, uh, and as a sign of strength and power and stability and what does God send next? This is awesome. Fleas or gnats that bite you. Ever been on a great camping trip? Mm. <laughs> Who brought the chigger spray? All right. You know what I'm talking about, Jer. Come on. <laughs> so here they are in front of the most powerful man on planet Earth with these giant pyramids in the back backdrop. And they're snap. And the, and the sorcerer said, we can't do that. The finger of God is here. Don't you love this? The finger of God. God shuts down the entire superpower with gnats. God is awesome. And God is so sarcastic in a great way. God is so poking fun at every one of their false demon gods. And can I just tell you something? This is my point today. What are the problems that we're facing today in America that are not like a gnat compared to how great God is? And what is God's heart as it relates to our nation? We can either continue to do one of these at God and we can move on to our destruction or we can watch God turn things around because these problems and the enemy is like a gnat to him. Or, or you can just allow yourself to be tormented by gnats uh, because you're not living in the right kingdom. I choose to live in the kingdom of God. But here's my point. 
Every single issue we're facing today can be absolutely turned around by the greatness of God and the power of the church and the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. But I want you to see this. Every single problem through the Bible, throughout human history, has been God confronting counterfeit power structures which always are embodied in the state and in government. It's always the problem. Can can I just warn you, where is most of your misery going to come from? The government. The government. Who is going to take your resources? The government. Who is going to waste your resources? The government. The government, the government, the government. Now, again, we have, we have the best system of government because, let me ask you this question. Where do we get the idea of constitutions in the United States of America? Where, where did that now? That was something new to, to us. Where did that come from? The Bible. It came from God's dealing with Israel. It was a covenant. That's why we have a constitution. It's a covenant between us and the people, our leaders, and between God. These, all these things came from the Scripture, but we've lost it. We've lost it. We've lost it. So every time that we are confronted with challenges in America and the nations of the world, it's usually an evil dictator. It's usually evil governments, and, we're, and the, the onslaught against the church is always our religious liberty, and it's always against Jesus Christ and against uh, us expressing our faith in God. Now, turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. I want to encourage you here, finally, as we get ready to wrap up, Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 24. Here's another wicked ruler by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was standing out on his top of his palace that he had built. It was probably like yesterday. The trees were all changing beautiful colors. It was 70 degrees, cool breeze blowing. He stood up there with his hands on his hips, and he said, man, I am awesome. Everything out here, I've built. I am great. Worship me. I'm like God. Uh, He started drawing attention to himself. Then he had a dream. What happened in the dream? Well, it wasn't a good dream. It tormented him, and he called Daniel because the Holy Spirit was in Daniel. And he said, can you please interpret this dream for me? And Daniel did not want to interpret the dream because it was bad news for the king. But take a look at what happens in Daniel chapter 4, verse 24. This is what the dream means, your majesty. And what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord. This is what the dream means. He said, the Most High is making a declaration. This will happen. How many of you know there are certain things in the heart of God that are unstoppable because he's God and he has a sovereign plan? There are certain things that must happen before Christ returns. But look at what's going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar. You will be driven from society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow. And you'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until, I like to circle those words, until, until what? Until you learn. What, is, what does he need to learn? Until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. Now, this is important. Our focus in a national election is not whether our guy or our gal got in, and if they didn't, we're in depression and all this kind of stuff. How many of you know God is ruling over the nations of the world, and he allows some people to be set in power, even sometimes people that we're not that thrilled with, and sometimes people that, that are not good people, they're not godly people. But how many of you know God has a greater purpose in all this? I mean, I ran for office twice and lost both times, and the first time was a little harder than the second time. Maybe I was used to it. I don't know. But anyway, um, that was a joke. But anyway... Um, <laughs> 
the first time I was a little bit disappointed because I worked so hard and I really felt like God led me to do this and I came up short. But here's the deal. It's, it's not like we pout after an election or we're depressed or, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? God, I'm trying to tell you this. God is greater than everything that's going on. He's the most high God. He's ruling over everything and everyone. He's ruling over elections. And elections are not the end of the game for us, but they're an important part of us getting in the game if that balances it out. I believe with all my heart the Most High is ruling over the nations of the world. I believe he's made covenant with me and with you and with this church. And I believe the promises of God are things we need to fight for and things we need to believe and things we need to press into. But I'm not depressed with the, watching the evening news. I don't put my hope in politics. I don't put my hope in D's or R's. I put my hope in the Lord. That's the nature of the church. So I want you to see this. He says, put your, learn that the Most High is ruling over the world and he's giving nations and raising up leaders and giving uh, leadership to people he chooses. But I want you to see the mercy of God. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar was like a tree that got cut off at the roots. And all that was left of his life, he spent seven years living like an animal because of his arrogance and pride and, and willful defiance against God. So he's living like an animal, but God says this, brother, don't quit. And this, this is a message for some of you this morning. He said, this means that you're going to receive your kingdom back again when you've learned, listen to this phrase, that heaven rules. Heaven rules. Say that with me. Heaven rules. Heaven rules. Heaven rules. This is what's got to be burned in the hearts of God's people, that heaven is ruling even now, that we're trusting God, that if you've been cut off at the knees in your life, you made some bad decisions, you made some bad calls, you made some bad choices, you feel like there's been years of your life that have been wasted, here's the word of the Lord. If you'll turn to God, if you'll recognize his sovereign power over your life, God can make that stump start to bear fruit again. There's going to be branches growing out of you. What you thought was dead, God's going to resurrect. This goes for lives. It goes for nations. Listen, there are some people like, oh, America's gone. There's no hope for America. Stop prophesying doom and gloom. For God's sake, if we were cut off at the roots, God can say, still say, if you'll turn to me, I'll have mercy on you, and fresh roots will grow up. And look at what he says. I want you to see the end of this. This is good news for any nation. Look at verse 27, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning. Do what's right. Break from your wicked past. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. And look down at verse 34. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. In other words, he, he was living like an animal. And all of a sudden, he lifts his head toward the heavens. And look what happens next. I love this. I looked up to heaven, my sanity returned, and I praised and I worshiped the Lord. This was an ungodly, wicked, demonized leader who now is looking up to heaven. God is giving him sight to see, and what is he doing? He's worshiping and praising God. How many know there's no leader in power that's too far gone to have an encounter with the mercy and the kindness of God? Listen to what he says. He says, his rule, his rule, not my rule, Nebuchadnezzar, his rule is everlasting. His kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. Now listen to the demonstration of sovereignty here because that's what I'm preaching on. He does as he pleases. How I many you know that's sovereign freedom? 
He does as he pleases among the angels in heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him. That's called sovereign power. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? That's called sovereign authority. Nobody, God doesn't have to report to anybody for doing what he wants to do. Look at verse 36. When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom, even with greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. This is God encountering the political regime of his day and single-handedly humbling the greatest, most powerful man on the planet. He's done it numerous times in history. Read your Bible. I just want to say this too. Some of the most honorable, godly people we read about in the Bible were politicians. David, Daniel, help me out, Joseph. Can you find any more amazing people than that in all the Bible? And that's just, that's just three. There's more. Here's what I want you to hear today. Pastor, are you fo focusing on politics? No, I'm focusing on the sovereign power of God to make covenants with people and nations so that he can bless them and prosper them so that the people are happy and healthy. Or we can turn our back on him and we can keep going the way we've been going. How many of you know America, and I keep hearing the buzzsaw in the background because I can't think of a time in our history when we've been this overtly wicked and perverted. With what's going on in schools, with what's going on in our universities, what's being taught, with the corruption that's everywhere, the lack of accountability, the waste. I mean, I don't, I don't have to highlight all this. I can hear the part of me hears God starting the chainsaw in the tree of liberty. And, and how many of you know we deserve it? We deserve it. But for the mercy of God. So, so, here's, so what, what, what do we do? I'm going to talk about that next week in more depth. But what do we do? First thing we do is we look to the heavens. That's what we're going to do next Sunday night. We're going to pray. We're going to cry out to God. We pray that the sanity comes back. We're going to pray for our leaders. And I just got to say this. This is part of the wickedness of our culture today. Um, I was at a meeting where Jennifer Ruth Green was speaking recently. And you, you know the only thing that they have to attack her on is the fact that she is pro-life. That's all they have. She believes in protecting innocent life in the womb. And because of that, you ready for this? She is too radical. How wicked do you have to be to believe that? How insane do you have to be to believe that? And yet that's all we hear. Radical, wicked, radical. When I ran the first time, I believe it was, we had a great man running for Senate who was pro-life and misspoke. And they, the opposition grilled him and skewered him. And, uh, and then the people in my campaign from down at the state house called me up and said, stay away from this guy. He's toxic. I said, stay away from him. He's righteous. Why would I stay away from him? Because I believe what he believes. And then I told you before, we ended up on the same attack piece 
60,000 homes, me and him, too radical for Hoosiers. At this meeting, Jennifer Ruth stood up, and this is the first thing out of her mouth. And by the way, she's been attacked on this issue nonstop. First thing out of her mouth at a political gathering is this. Y'all notice Roe v. Wade went crashing down at the federal level, and I just want to thank our senator here and our state representative here for being proud, outspoken champions for life. And even in that crowd, there was a, a tepid response. But I just thought, you know what? I can get behind somebody who's unafraid of truth, unafraid of, of righteousness, unafraid not doing one of these things with the public opinion polls, and someone that's willing to courageously stand for what they believe. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And listen, if you're trying to get your promotions from people and you'll sell your soul for your job, for your comfort, for your position at work so you can stay on this committee, I'm just trying to tell you what needs to be at the cornerstone of our hearts is a hunger and a passion for the glory of God, a desire to see righteousness promoted, a belief in our hearts that no matter what's going on around us, I am in covenant with God Almighty. I am in covenant with God Almighty. That is the gospel. That is what it means to be saved. We are in covenant with God. And a small group of committed covenantal people in the hands of God Almighty can bring empires down, leaders down, perversion down, wickedness down. So if you, let, if you leave here today and think Pastor Ron's talking about politics, you miss the whole message. I'm talking about the greatness and power and sovereignty of God and how God will judge nations that are wicked and turn their back on him. This is the message of the church. This is the message to our generation right now. Repent, turn to the Lord, elect righteous people and stop voting for the kind of people we put in power. Shame on the church for some of the votes we've cast. When you know where people stand and you still vote for them, when you know what their agenda is and you still choose wickedness, shame on the church for doing that. I'm talking about honoring God Almighty in every area of our lives. I'm talking about creating a culture where we prosper and thrive, not where we're running around fearing for our lives, locking everything up, can't go out anywhere. I'm tired of living like a slave in my own country. Tired of living like a slave in my own country. Stay on your feet. Let's worship and let's go after God. God Almighty, we recognize today 
What a privilege it is that you, you condescended, you reached out to us, and you invited us to partner with you to be salt and light, that the gospel could go to the nations, that the whole world could be blessed because of the good news of Jesus Christ. God, forgive us for dropping our birthright, for turning it in for a, a bowl of porridge, God, for selling out on, on what you've called us to be. Lord, your church is the most dangerous weapon in any nation of the world. God, you make a mockery out of every petty politician, every ungodly leader, every perverse government. You, you make them to nothing, God, with your, your tiny little finger. God, I pray that the fear of the Lord would hit the church again. I pray that there'd be a sense of urgency. God, put an urgency in our spirits. God, even our nation now is hanging in a balance. I don't even know if we realize the spiritual warfare taking place over this country. And God, so many lives in destruction right now and in brokenness and addiction and pain, families being blown apart. God, economic problems and pressures increasing all around us. Lord God, bring us to our knees and lift our heads. Let the sanity return to our nation again. God, we're insane as a nation right now. God, we've lost our minds as a nation. God, have mercy. God, have mercy. God, have mercy. Lord, you're the one that raises up and sets down. I, I just pray that we would see elected people that have been from places of obscurity, people that aren't even known. But God, you know them. You know them, and they love you, and they honor you. And they've been prepared for such a time like this. God, bring revival and awakening to America. God, have mercy on us even now. God, we need rapid change. We need radical change, not just in government, but, Lord, in our local lives, in our homes, in our families, the way that we're living, the way that we're leading, in our churches, God. Awaken the pulpits once again. God, put a fire. Put a fire in your church, Lord. Awaken our hearts, oh God. Awaken our hearts, oh God. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, help us. Help us, Father. Help us, Lord. God, you've blessed us in the past. And Lord, even now we turn to you and we say, Lord, would you not shine upon us again? And bless America with a great awakening, Lord. Bring unity where there's been division. Bring healing, Lord, where there's been pain. God, bring blessing where there's been devastation. God, help us, empower us. Come on, lift your hands. Holy Spirit, I ask you just to flood this place. Flood us. Awaken us. God, bring renewal and revival to our spirits. Lord, Lord God, help us understand the time in which we're living. Lord, help us to live with a sense of urgency. Help us today, today, today to choose righteousness. Today that all of heaven's watching. What we do today, Lord, may we live for you and honor you and love you. May we be faithful to uphold our end of the covenant. Father, thank you for our church family. Thank you for those that are running. Thank you for those that are working hard to get people who love you elected. Lord, we're trying to do our part. We ask you to bless all of them and bless these efforts, and we just want to bathe everything in prayer. But, Lord, at the end of the day, we're living for a kingdom that's not part of this earth. It's so much bigger, so much better. So help us to live with one hand of the plow, Lord, doing what we're called to do, but with the, our eyes towards heaven, the other hand raised to you, always relying upon you, God, and looking to you. 
You know, there's some of you today on a personal level, it's just a good day to renew your covenant with God. If you've been far from God and you're saying, I, I, I don't want to live far from God. I want to know God. I want to live in covenant with God. I, the altars are open. We want to pray for you. It's a great day. To, to let the Lord just love on you and bring your heart close to him. Some of you feel like the tree that's been cut down and you're just a stump, everything's a mess. And the Lord says to you today, if you'll turn to him, he'll begin, you'll see, you'll see the new branches begin to sp- sprout from that dead trunk. Your life is not cut off. Your life is just beginning. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life if you honor the Lord. So we want to pray for you today if you don't know him, if you've been far from God, if you just need to repent, if you're asking God for fresh fire, we want to pray for all you, all you, all right? So, Lord, bless us. We love you. We honor you. We thank you, Lord, having rules. We give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a shout of praise. We honor you, God. We honor you, God. Hey, have an amazing day. We love you. If you need prayer for anything, come on down. Love you, Pastor. Love you, too.